Hey everyone, this podcast is brought to you by Live Casino, and I am Matt Williamson to give you your final pod of the week. Folks, it's all going down at the FanDuel Sportsbook and Lounge at Live Casino, where you can get in on all the action this football season. Bet on your teams with a sportsbook rep or at our self-service kiosks, and then jump into the stadium on our giant 40-foot video wall. How's that for a touchdown? Join your friends at Live Casino Pittsburgh, Route 30 at the Westmoreland Mall. Bet, watch, and win. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And there's a couple things to look at in this game that maybe the Steelers can exploit, and I have some keys. That's going to be the second half of the podcast, but I want to start it off with the uh, the Matt Canada situation. Um, I am in favor, as I'm sure most of you are, of... I don't even know if you have to fire him, but at the at the bye after this Eagles game, I think you have to make a change. I, I, I really do. Now, is he 100% to blame? Absolutely not. There's, you know, there's open receivers, um, not all the time, that aren't that aren't getting the football. But I think the the offensive system is just so rudimentary and predictable and the tendencies, which I haven't studied the tendencies, are so strong that this is kind of a tinfoil hat theory because I can't prove it. And the, the, what I've been doing is, you know, I feel like I'm playing poker with Teddy KGB and I know he has a tell, but I haven't quite figured out the Oreos yet. But I really think opponents know when the run is coming. The way that they play the run I feel like they know when the Steelers are going to run or have very strong tendencies that they've studied. And some people have told me, and I can't confirm it, but there is something to be said for it. Maybe these are the Oreos. But when you see a lot of pre-snap motion from Canada's play calling, a high percentage of those are run. And that is true. And it's something for you to look for on Sunday. Um, But... Is the run game great? Of course not. But I do think that the league has a bead on when the run is coming. Um, I've talked to you a lot about too many first down runs. I stand by that in a big way. I mean, 13 of 20 drives where it wasn't a hurry up situation. First, first down run. I mean, that needs to be the opposite. It needs to be seven out of 20, not 13. That's one example, but this has been a trend with Matt Canada calling plays for way too long. And I think I've told you this, but if we've gone down this road again, so be it. I think it's important that the most efficient or right at the top of the, of the list the play or tactic in the NFL is throwing the football on first and 10 because you can dictate the action more as an offense. You get much more predictable coverages like I always say this, like getting to third down, you need to score first downs on the first two downs. Getting to third down is like a 40% success situation across the league. So you need to be aggressive early in the downs. You know, first down, second down, early down success rate is something that is very indicative to wins. So the early down running to me needs to calm down. It's too much, and that includes end, end arounds, but let alone just hand at the nausea. And I do think the running game has become very predictable, and that kind of goes hand in hand. Now, I think a lot of you might think, 
Well, here, I got a little bit to back it up. I just showed you those 13 out of 20 stat from this last game. But right now, they have the seventh most run-heavy offense on early downs, first and second, within the first in, in first half of games, because that can change if you're losing by a ton. So 46% of their early down first half snaps are rushes, and that is a seventh most. The teams at the top are teams like Atlanta, you know, that just run the ball like crazy. So that's not where you want to be with this team, unless you're going to run the ball like crazy. I mean, if you're going to reinvent the entire team and run the ball like crazy, which would make no sense to me because that's what they're really bad at, um, then I get it. I mean, Chicago, Atlanta, some of these teams. I don't think you're to that point yet where you just don't care anymore (laughs) about the passing game. Um, now again, this might sound like I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth because don't you need to run and run successfully to run play action? The answer is no. Um, there've been many studies that you do not have to be a successful, establish the run type of team in order to be effective with play action. Um, I 90, I 90% believe that, but I definitely think that if Derrick Henry or Nick Chubb's running down your throat, play action works better off of that. I mean, there's, there's some human nature here involved, but linebackers and second level defenders, since they could crawl, have keys that when you, they see that ball come out, they freeze or take a step forward. And there are defensive coaches that are trying to coach that out of players. And I'm sure at all levels, it's getting coached out of them a little bit more because play action is such a part of the league and such a part of football. But any study shows, even if you're not running the ball, you get more yards per play when play action is used than not. Every team, every year around the league. And didn't we all think that that was a big key here? You know, I know Ben did not want to run play action. He didn't want to turn his back to the defense. He wasn't comfortable with it. Fine. You don't have to teach that old dog new tricks. I was complaining about it then, though, so let's not forget about that. But I thought that was a big Canada thing. All this motion and pre-snap stuff, and then you're going to run play action off of it, and, you know, all this window dressing and putting defensive players in conflict. That's what it's all about is just making them freeze so your guard can get a better blocking angle or your receiver can get behind them. And here's what's backing that up. It took me a little while to find these numbers, but they have them on pro football focus. And Mitch Trubisky's play action percentage is at 16%. Pickett's is a little higher at 176 But they're in the same neighborhood. I and mean, we're talking 16, 17%. That's, that's not all that different. They're both at the bottom of the league. They're not even league average. And if Ben in his prime or Aaron Rodgers or Brady or who, you know, Mahomes, <laughs> they don't want to run play action, fine. They're good enough that they don't need that crutch. Your rookie quarterback and Mitch Trubisky are not. You know, use every advantage you absolutely possibly can. And these are extreme cases, but the guys at the top of the list and the Steelers quarterbacks are in this neighborhood. Mariota's at 46%. <laughs> Daniel Jones, 40%. Tua's at 40 or 39%. Jalen Hurts, who they're going to see this week, is at 37 Those are young quarterbacks with some athleticism. 
that you can also play action and boot. You know, what's much different about Pickett and Trubisky than that list I just told you? I mean, they, they all need every bit of help they can get. And ball handling was a big thing they stressed when they acquired Trubisky and Pickett. I mean, that's important in this offense. Why aren't you running play action? Again, I mean, any year you look on any team, yards per play with and without play action favor play action all the time. That makes me crazy. And you don't have to run the ball like they did with Jerome Bettis in order to establish a play action threat. It, it makes no sense to me. So that's that. Um, I, I will be critical, I think, if they don't make a change, at least in play callers after the bye. Um, whether they fire Canada or not really doesn't matter to me. I just don't want him calling the plays. But here's part of the problem, folks, is the playbook is going to be the playbook. You know, you're not going to go hire someone from outside the organization who's going to install an entire new offense. And that's what needs done is the entire playbook needs rewritten the way they go about everything. So, you know, here's the example I've been using. It's like, while you teach these kids arithmetic, you can't then test them on algebra or trig. You know what I mean? Like you can't just put this advanced offense in that they haven't been practicing or haven't done, even if there's a new play caller, if they, you know, um, you know, bump up from within, which I think they will. But the tendencies, more play action, first down stuff can be better, you know, and to get you through the season. And then you go find a new playbook. <laughs> Um, so that's that. Uh, I'll be back with some keys to this game. Pull back the curtain. There, there aren't many that favor the Steelers, to be honest. Philly's just really good. Okay, I think a big key, well, a huge key, is does T.J. Watt play? Um, I'm recording this Thursday, a little afternoon. Uh, I don't even know what his practice situation is for Thursday, but I know he practiced Wednesday. At a minimum, I think he comes back after the bye, but I I'm not trying to, like, pump you guys up and give you hope. I think there's a chance he plays in this game, you know, as a spot player, a dozen snaps on third down or something like that. Rest him over the week after that, and then see where you know go back to full time. Just a hunch. I mean, I, I think there's a possibility of that. Just the way he's been moving around in practice, things like that. Seems like he could dress on game day. I mean, we'll just leave it at that, and not play every snap necessarily. So from there, I think a huge key, and it's much different with or without Watt, is as we went over with the numbers yesterday. Hertz is starting to develop. I don't want to say a weakness. But a concern, and this is not unusual for young, very athletic running quarterbacks, is blitz is giving him a problem. So early in the season, and this was the case like with Lamar, very little blitz. Well, why don't you blitz Lamar and Hurts? Or why aren't they used to it throughout their careers going back to college? Well, because most blitzes are man coverage. And if I'm bringing extra people and he eludes the blitz, 
and the rest of my guys have their eyes on receivers, and I have one man short, uh-oh, the floodgates open, quarterback tucks it and runs, destroys you that way. Okay, well, there's a lot more blitz concepts now with zone behind it. Um, and really, beating the blitz is more of a mental processing, Brady, boom, get it out, throw to the void, that type of thing. And if they haven't done it as much as others, and Hertz is young, and Lamar was that way too, and Lamar's gotten much better about it this year. I mean, that was the book on Lamar coming into the season. He was really struggling last year, second half of the year with blitz. And this year, he's been tremendously better. Obviously, he's worked on it. But that's what's going on with Hertz. His first couple games of the year, predictably, you don't get much blitz. Well, then people started dipping their toe in the water. And then I think every defensive coordinator the last four weeks has said, I'm going to dial up a little more. I'm going to dial up a little bit more because he's not handling it as well. You know, he's just not going with the football as well as possible. And you can still have a spy behind it. So that's a key to me is what do they do there? Um, what or not, I think KZ is going to play in this game. And I think that has a great ripple effect in, in part because maybe Edmonds now can be your spy on Hertz. And where I'm going with this is I think you'll see a lot of big nickel or at least a lot of three safety alignments, whether that's five defensive backs, big nickel is three safeties, two corners, or dime, three safeties, three corners. And I think that means less of Spillane, maybe less of Bush. Um, we've seen all three of those linebackers on the field at times. I would be shocked if you see any of that. Um, so I think that you'll see Edmonds close to the line of scrimmage, KZ and Minka as your deep guys. They've been playing a lot of cover two. Those two playing cover two is ideal. Or the beauty is KZ is also a true free safety can play the deep middle which allows Minka to just be your, I don't want to say Troy Polamalu, but do fun things with. You know, like the example I've used is if you're playing the Ravens and KZ's healthy, well, maybe Minka guards Mark Andrews the whole game. You know what I mean? Like you put your best on best. I'm not sure where that would be for here, but you could do a variety of things with him that they have not seen much on tape. Um, so Big Nickel is a personnel group, or at least three safeties is something that this team now has in their bag that wasn't as strong with Norwood. So keep an eye on that. Um, we've been talking about this a lot. They've really done a good job varying, disguising their coverages, late rotations, and you know not showing at the snap, but doing it right at or right before. And now you have a third safety in there for even more wrinkles. So I could certainly see Hertz double clutching or throwing one to the other team that he wouldn't usually. Um one other thing I have a question about, and this kind of ties into blitz. Are you comfortable leaving your corners on islands or with only a single high safety over the top? Getting healthier there. I mean, A.J. Brown is really, really good. Devontae Smith's really good. So I think the answer to that is no, which might mean more variety of zones. But I think it'll happen at times. I mean, you're healthier at the corner position. Um, some of these length guys, Wallace, Witherspoon, I think can do reasonably well against A.J. Brown, who frankly I think is one of the best in the game. Um, but I'm curious how much you're going to leave those guys on islands in man coverage. Just something to look at. I do think Edmonds, who's had a lot of success in his career against tight ends, is a good matchup against Dallas Goddard. I mean, Goddard and Fryermuth to me are the Jokus and other. 
two second, third, fourth year tight ends that are really, really stepping up this year. And uh, Goddard's one of my favorites. He's having a tremendous year. But if you're going to help on those receivers, Edmonds is going to get to isolate on him a lot. And he's capable, but that's a big key matchup for me as well. Um, Blitz and, you know, we talked about Blitz versus Hurts. Eagles run defense statistically isn't very good, but they see fewer runs than just about any team in the league. On a yards per carry metric, it's not great. I don't know if that's game script stuff or what, but I think you at least need to test. The, you know, it can't just be pass, 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 pass. You don't want Kenny throwing 50 times on the road against his team. Just added Robert Quinn. But I also don't know that you're going to move their defensive tackles either. So off-tackle runs, maybe. I'm up for ideas on that one because you gotta have, you got to at least do some running in this game. And I just don't know where I'm running the football. Who am I running at? I mean, I'm thinking off tackle, behind the tackles. That's fine. But, you know, Chooks is better in protection than he is, you know, run blocking. Um, I do think the Steelers need to attack the middle of the field. You guys probably haven't heard of many of the Eagles' safeties and linebackers, but they're a decent group. They're not as good as the D-line or corners. So I think you really need to throw the ball in the middle of the field. Pickett had success with that last game. Didn't put up a lot of yardage, but had a lot of completions. So really that like 10 to 19 yard range from the line of scrimmage in the middle of the field between the numbers is a is a real, I don't say soft spot, but probably their softest spot on a very good defense. And that's asking a lot from a young quarterback. I mean, that's that's a danger zone, man. I mean, in any, in any aspect, you know, Ben didn't like throwing there last year. I want to see how much he attacks the middle of the field, how much play calling attacks the middle of the field, you know, deep in routes, a lot of fryer move um, along those lines out of the slot. I want to see deep shots to Claypool. You know, this isn't Ray Ray McLeod. This isn't Edelman Welker. This is a, a slot receiver that can get downfield. They have not had vertical routes from him from the slot nearly enough. I do think, well, there's one where his feet got caught up. So they took a shot last week and pick it through it. Should have been a penalty. It wasn't. Um, but that's something to me to keep an eye on though, is deep shots from Claypool in, up, up the middle, up the seam. Um, I'm not saying don't take deep shots to Pickens either. I mean, if he's one-on-one, I think you throw him the football, even if it's against Darius Slay. Last little nugget here. The Steelers have a special teams advantage. Um, pretty much across the board, Steelers are a little above average special teams. Uh, the Eagles are well below average. If they happen to keep this thing close, I bet special teams will have a lot to do with it. Maybe even a surprise onside, a fake punt, something along those lines, I think would be in play for this game. I mean, what do you have to lose? You know, and then you put it on tape for the rest of the year too. So that's a key to me as well. That's my last key. Um, that'll do it for the week. Um, as usual, I assume I will record a post-game pod on Sunday night. Uh, everyone have a great weekend and over and out.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.